in order. How is everybody? Isn't it a good day? Hasn't the weather been absolutely phenomenal? I hear people talking about the heat, and I'm like, have you not lived in St. Louis? You know? God is good, though, and we're, we're blessed. We are very blessed. Uh, a few weeks back at the Embark Conference, actually, um, there were some things going on, and uh, I felt a stirring in my heart, and I shared that word with, uh, with Stephen, and he said, that's good. Just uh, sit on that for a while, and let's see what God does with it. And this is that day. <laughs> so this has been uh, stirring for a little bit. Uh, I want us to first start in um, Romans chapter 11. Right at the end... And Paul is kind of wrapping up an area of teaching that I'm not going to go into, but just to suffice it to say that he's wrapping up his arguments and everything. And then after any seriously, profoundly good session of teaching, he's just, boom, it's all worship. And that's where we pick this up. Verse 33, Oh, the depth and riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things, to him be the glory forever. And it's like Paul just gets lost in the person of who God is. That's where we all want to be. There's two things in his observations here that he brings up, two kinds of topics, though, and I found it interesting as we move into chapter 12, what he's talking about. The two things, he's got these statements, he's talking about the mind of the Lord. Who has known the mind of the Lord? And then the second is, who's given gifts to the Lord? Now, isn't that interesting? Because listen, think about those things as we read these next few verses. Chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing you may discern what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we've got these two themes coming out even in chapter 12. He's kind of moved into, because of all I've told you, here's how we respond. Here's what we do with it. And he says in, in verse 1, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, in just a couple verses, he said, who's presented anything to the Lord? Who's ever given the Lord anything like the Lord might repay him? But what do Christians do? We lay down everything as a living and holy sacrifice. That's the one thing that we can do as Christians that is actually a worthy response to what the Lord has done and to who he is. Let's lay our lives down as a living and holy sacrifice. And then he moves into, into verse 2. Not that he was new. Oh, this is going to be Romans verse 2. Romans 12, 2. He didn't know verses. The next sentence, he just moves on to that and says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Now, isn't that interesting? Because he just talked about who has known the mind of the Lord. 
What do we as Christians do? Having laid down our lives as a living sacrifice, given everything before the Lord, then we've got to practice that in the discipline of our thinking. Ouch. That's where, you know, we... we all stumble. That's where things get really difficult. There's the desire to serve the Lord, to lay our lives down before him. But then there are areas where you're going to have to work. It's, it's in there. We die daily. Or we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's an exercise. And it's not always pleasant. In this verse, it also mentions that it's by the testing of these things that we can know and that's part of how God impresses upon us even as we are disciplining ourselves and trying to rule our minds and committing ourselves to daily disciplines in prayer and word and encouragement or counseling you name it as we're doing those things still we face life's trials and tests and in the midst of those things that it says is where we will prove the will of God. That's where we take the theological concepts and move them from the external to the internal. That's where we will prove the faithfulness of God in the land of the living. So, you've already heard part of the burden. This is kind of the context. This is what I want to help us to to exercise and to do. But I want to do it by looking at particularly Isaiah chapters 45 and 46. But before we get into that, it's time to pray. Father God, we are so grateful, so grateful for who you are. And that all the things that we're learning about are rooted in your person. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. It's not rules and facts. It is you who came to live amongst us as Jesus Christ died for our sins, rose again to throw down principalities and powers. And we're so grateful. God, I pray that you would strengthen me to be able to proclaim your word faithfully and hold true to your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You ready? Okay. So, everything we're going to be talking about today is intricately tied to the heart. We're talking about heart issues. The heart in Scripture is talking about who you are in your deepest person. The deepest, deepest things. That's your heart. Who can remember what is the first and greatest commandment? Thou shalt love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's it. And it's a heart issue. You see, there's no compromise in what we just read in Romans 12. There's no compromise. There's no such thing as a partial sacrifice. The animal is committed completely, right? There's no such thing as a slight transformation. You know, do you ever watch any of these... Um, uh, house renovation shows, they're prolific out there right now. And, uh, do you ever watch any of those? And then there's the reveal, the big moment. Can you ever imagine someone saying, I am so whelmed 
Did you mean overwhelmed? No, no, not really overwhelmed. Just, I'm, I'm just whelmed. <laughs> what? What on earth? Or, this is so absolutely acceptable. <laughs> That's not what it's like, right? We're talking about transformation. It's a complete renewal, revitalization, new life, and it takes everything we have. It just does. That's the living sacrifice part. It takes everything we have. As Christians, we are joined to the Lord, forsaking all others like a good marriage, right? And Mike at the marriage seminar talked about that. We are joined to the Lord. Well, in marriage, the two become one. And I've heard it said that the trouble starts when they try to decide which one. <laughs> well, for us, we're joined to the Lord. It's all about him. It's all for him. It's all for his glory. There's no more deciding we lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 45. And we'll start in verses 1 and 2. I'll preface this by saying that he's going to mention a name, Cyrus. Cyrus was a Persian king. It was an actual real person. Isaiah is writing this about 150 years before that man walked the earth. Just so you know. That's the context. So Isaiah 45, verses 1 and 2. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Now Cyrus was a Persian king. We're not talking about a king of Israel. Interesting the context here, right? Whose right hand I have grasped to, dis, to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the uh, bars of iron. Skipping down to verse 4. For the sake of my servant Jacob. Now there's Israel. And Israel my chosen... I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord. There is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you don't know me. And so here we have God calling out Cyrus some 150 years before the events will take place, that he will be the one to restore the exiles from Babylon to their homeland in Jerusalem. Are you serious? Yes, 150 years beforehand, the prophecy of Isaiah comes. Now let's turn, uh, look at verse 20 of chapter 45. Assemble yourselves and come and draw near, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declare it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is no one besides me. Now let's move to chapter 46, and we'll take up in verse 5. I know I'm skipping around a little bit. To whom will you liken me? And make me equal, 
and compare me that we may be alike. Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith and he makes it into a god. And then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders, they carry it, they set it in its place and it stands there but it cannot move from its place. If one cries out to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. Remember this and stand firm. Recall to it, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old. For I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet even done, saying, my counsel will stand and I will accomplish my purpose, calling a bird of prey from the east, that would be Cyrus, the man of my counsel from a far country. I have spoken, I will bring it to pass, I have purposed, I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn of heart, who are far, excuse me, from righteousness, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay. I will put salvation in Zion for my glory. Stephen used an interesting expression in uh, leading us into communion. He said, you know, Jesus threw down the principalities and powers. I had a phrase in my notes that God was throwing down, and by which I meant the gauntlet. In chapter 45, he says, okay, you've got all these gods, line them up, let's have a showdown. I'm throwing down, I'm calling them out, it's false. Who commands history? And he refers to that a couple times. Yes, he's saying, I'm going to call out Cyrus 150 years from now. Now, how do you know a prophet? You know a prophet when the word comes true. Is anybody at that time going to know that Cyrus actually does this? No. In chapter 46, he says, remember the things of old. Remember the former things. That's a phrase that repeats throughout the book of Isaiah. And that is referring back to the early prophecies of Isaiah that talked about the conquering in the days of Hezekiah. And it actually happened. And people saw it and they knew this guy is the real thing. God has confirmed his word. He's a prophet. And now he's saying, look at the old things. They happened. Look at the future things. I have determined it. It is going to happen. Now tell me who's God. The silent ones that run around or are placed on, in places and you pray and they don't even answer. Tell me who's God. God is laying this down. And who is it that he's writing to? Listen to me, you stubborn of heart. Well, this is where Jeff Crook's name is written into scripture some 2,500 2, years before I ever came out. I think we should listen. <laughs> I think we should listen. So let's move to chapter 46, and we'll start with verse 1 and catch up some of the bit in the middle that I moved over. Bell now, uh, bows down, and Nebo stoops. And probably most people in the room are thinking, what on earth is that? 
let me tie some things together for you. Do you remember some characters in the book of Daniel? Daniel, this comes later, but he and his friends are there, and there was a certain king, Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, that's interesting. And what was it that they called him? Belteshazzar. Those are the local deities. That's the gods. So let's observe them. See how strong and faithful they are. Bel bows down. Nebo stoops. Their idols are on beasts and livestock. These things you carry are borne as burdens on weary beasts. They stoop, they bow down together, and they cannot save the burden, but themselves go into captivity. This is Cyrus taking the Babylonian gods into captivity. The gods that could not save Babylon. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel, who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb, even to your old age. I am he, and to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made, as in I have made you, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. What a stark contrast. Who's doing the carrying of Israel? God is carrying Israel. Those idols that were formed and fashioned became such a heavy burden that the oxen that were carrying couldn't even carry the load. So let's pause for a moment and think, what is an idol? And this is where it's going to begin to touch our own hearts, okay? But what is an idol? And we immediately think of these statues and things, and that's right. We have that in the scripture, Bel and Nebo. They are physical things, you know, that have been fashioned by a goldsmith and so forth. We read scriptures about that. That's absolutely accurate, but I want to tell you there is more involved than just that. In Exodus 20, you may recall that's where we have the Ten Commandments. And the first two commandments are these. Does anyone remember? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then the second refers to the idols. It says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or likeness of anything in heaven or on earth and bow down to them. It's both. You've first got to deal with the gods and then the outward expression of that as people are trying to do what they're doing, forming and fashioning idols, we have to understand the heart issues and get beyond the outward carved images. What is an idol? It is anything of our own making that grabs our spiritual imagination and affection. It's things that we make that then we let stand in the place where only God Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and us, 
the one who carries us, only where he should be in our affections. Do you remember the story of Israel and the golden calf? I see some head nods. It's interesting what happened there. The Israelites took the riches and jewelry that they had plundered from the Egyptians. That's how scripture says it. They plundered the Egyptians. They just asked for it. They got it. They took this stuff. And it's interesting how the scriptures read. It said, they said they, they threw the stuff into the fire and out came this calf. <laughs> Are you serious? Really? Is that, can you, how can you conceive that that's going to fly? It's like, Johnny, who's been coloring on the walls? I don't know. Are you serious? It says Johnny was here. It's kind of, you know, but oh my goodness, we're so fickle and we deceive ourselves. It's so easy to fall into stuff like that. Out popped this calf. Seriously? They spent hours fashioning and honing and polishing this thing. They crafted it, right? Isn't that what happens with our idols? We grab onto something, we just throw it in and, you know, something pops, but all of a sudden it starts to capture our imaginations, our affections, and there we are forming it, fashioning it, playing with it. It's a dastardly thing. When, this is a bit of an aside, but you may want to, it may stir you and you may want to take and run with it, but when did that happen it, with the, uh, the golden idol from, or the golden calf? It happened when Moses was still up on the mountain, right? There, we, we need to pay attention to that. How many spiritual disasters have sprung from human hearts when God or the man of God was delayed? It's a vulnerable time. You know, our, we're easily, easily led astray. I'm not going to pursue that, but, well, one other example, Saul. Samuel was delayed. He ends up making some strange sacrifices. He lost the kingdom and his authority at that moment. I'll just leave that. That's an aside. But what I want to emphasize, there's, this is not just about some religious observance, the, the first two commandments. It's not about, you know, the tablecloth and the linens or whatever. This is about heart issues. In Exodus 20, before he goes into specifics of the Ten Commandments, the statement is this, and Stephen alluded to it earlier today. I am the Lord you God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Listen to that context. It's just like Isaiah 45. I am the God of all history. Do you understand that? Your history is rooted in who I am. I am the Lord who carries you. I am the Lord who delivers you. And in that history, 
my revelation of who I am, my faithfulness to you, your salvation, these commandments that reflect my character, it's all rooted in who I am and I express myself in history. Is it any wonder that in our nation, the undermining of biblical perspective and the book of Genesis in particular has undermined also our social moorings? We've lost our grip on the foundational elements. Isaiah 46, verses 4, verse 4. I have made you. I will bear you. I will carry you. I will save you. And verse 7. My salvation will not delay. I've spoken it in advance. Build your life on these things. God says, present your case. You've got all this stuff, line it up. Let's have it out. I'm throwing down, right? And we hear that and we think, okay, Lord, you're right. I've got to just take everything that I've got and I've got to line it up. And my job is to make sure Jesus is first. No other gods before him, right? Isn't that how we think? That's how I used to read the first commandment. And it's not true. Listen to me carefully. The commandment does not say, out of all your gods, make sure that God has first place. It says, have no other gods before me. And in the Hebrew, that actually means before my face. Have no other gods before my face. Now think about the Hebrew community. You've got three tribes, north, south, east, and west. And where was the tent of meeting? Right in the very center. Now where do you think you could have a god that was not before his face? It's not put Jesus first it is, you will have no other gods, and the sentence could actually end there. Lord, help us. Help us. And he will. He is the Lord who delivers. He's the Lord who saves. He is for us because he's chosen to be. Paul says something that in that context, I want to hear you to hear this verse in the context of what we've just said. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you? You shall have no other gods before my face. Now, we're people, we're sinful. Hallelujah, that is no surprise to God. Right? We don't need to hide our sin. God can help us with our sin. But there's no good thing that comes out of it. I had a boss that when something horrible would happen, he'd refer to it as a dumpster fire. You know, there's absolutely no redeeming quality from a dumpster fire. All the stuff that's in there is destined to the trash heap. But if you've got a dumpster fire, you need to drop everything and deal with the dumpster fire because it might spread it's going to take over and go other places. So here you are. You're dealing with trying to 
take care of your trash that you thought just get rid of. It's a dumpster fire. When we've got our idols that we've done whatever with, there is no redeeming quality in that endeavor whatsoever. It's a dumpster fire. You're not going to get anything out of it. Stephen's message last week, he referred to uh, Numbers 25, uh, talking about Phineas, who was bold in the Lord, and he stabbed a couple through for their blatant disregard for even what God was moving in the community, and he put a stop to a plague that had come about. That's you know, what he talked about last week. Well, there's this statement in there that Israel had yoked themselves to Baal. Now listen to that in light of Isaiah chapter 46. Now who's the beast of burden in that statement? Israel yoked themselves to Baal. Do you see that? It was a burden they were never intended to carry. These idols that we have, that is a heavy burden that we have never been in, intended to carry. And it's not going to deliver us. It's not going to help us. If we're praying to it because we've got this desire that we're wanting and we're just let this work out, it's not going to answer. Because that thing, whatever it is, is not God. Now, I've not been given liberty today to go through and list a bunch of stuff because I don't know that it would help. Everybody in the room has their own things, and I suspect God is better able to point those out than I ever could. I've got my own, but I think what I'm trying to draw out, we're all prone this way, aren't we? Jesus said this, Come to me, all you who are weary, and heavy burdened. I will give you rest. I tell you, that is the only way to find rest, is to ditch the burden. And there's only one place to do that. And it's at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to come and see how to do that here in a few minutes. There's one other Old Testament story that I'd like to refer to. And that's the story of Achan in uh, Joshua chapter 7. So the context here is the fall of Jericho. So the very first city after Israel comes onto the promised land, here's Jericho and the walls come crumbling down. We know that story. <clears throat> in, the, in the scriptures it says that the entire city and all of its contents, all of its people, its livestock, absolutely everything, Israel devoted to destruction. Now, and I know there's like physical implications to that, but they had devoted that city to destruction. And the scriptures make it clear that it's because of the city's own sin. And we know that Rahab was saved. You know, we know these stories. But the entire city was devoted to destruction. And those things that would survive fire, namely wood, no, sorry, not wood, obviously, <laughs> iron, gold, bronze, the things that would survive a fiery judgment, if you will, those things were to be consecrated to the Lord's treasury. And Achan 
decided to hold some back, and he buried it in his tent. And here's where we really have to guard ourselves. Achan was a reasonable fellow. He was reasonable. I mean, he's looking at this stuff. It's like, this is gold or whatever it was. We weren't told specifically, but here's some stuff. It's, it's pretty, right? It's useful. We use this stuff all the time. Everybody uses this stuff. It's useful. It's beautiful. It could come in handy. And the little bit that I would deal with would never be missed. And let me tell you, everything that I've just mentioned there is true. Right? It is pretty. It would be useful. And the little I take would never be missed. The only problem was that it had been devoted to destruction. It was an off-limit kind of thing. And for that small offense of Achan, here is what the scripture says, not just of Achan, but of all of Israel. Listen to this carefully. Israel cannot stand before her enemies because they, Israel, have become devoted to destruction. Understand these twists that happen with idols. You're carrying this thing, but you're supposed to be carried. You're not, and all of a sudden you're hooked up to it, and you're not, you're the beast of burden. Do you see how twisted that is? And now, having coveted something that was uh, destined for destruction or devoted to destruction, now all of a sudden the nation becomes devoted to destruction. It wasn't the thing anymore. Now the burden of it is on the whole people. We need to be clean and clear with our God. We're far too sophisticated, I know, everybody in this room. We are far too sophisticated to go home and make some image and sit down and bow down to it and pray. We're far too sophisticated. Our, our idols are much more subtle. They're things that we make, we nurture, we allow in our hearts. They're things that we let in and play with where God said no. Our idols are in those areas that God has devoted to destruction, which could be different for different people but where God has set boundaries and you know what they are. But we're reasonable people. We look at it. We play with it. It seems reasonable. Why can they do and I don't get to, you know, all of this stuff, our thinking. And so we'll bury a little treasure away in our tent. In the deepest parts of our heart where we have succumbed to some thing of our own creation. And part of what should be purely devoted to the Lord is now given to something else. This is the area where we can apply Romans chapter 12 where we can lay our lives down as a living and holy sacrifice 
there's nothing new about anything that I've covered or talked about. Eve was a reasonable woman. And she looked at that fruit, and it was good for food. True. Pleasing to the eye. True. Desirable to make one wise. True as far as we know. We don't know how that was supposed to play out. We only got this version of the story. And she ate. And it was perfectly reasonable, except that it was forbidden. And we've been eating of that same fruit, doing the same stuff ever since. That's the same sin as Achan's sin. This is exactly where we need the gospel. Jesus took our burdens. He took all that sin, all our idols. He became the beast of burden. It was so heavy, he couldn't carry it. Remember the cross? He became that beast of burden. He took upon himself, in his person, our idols, everything that God said, this is devoted to destruction, God laid upon Jesus Christ. Our idols, our passions, our devotions that were misplaced, he took them to the place of the complete destruction where the full wrath and fury of God destroyed those things completely. He took that and gave us instead his righteousness. He took a hard and cold heart of stone and he instead has given us a heart of flesh. Isaiah 46 says, listen, you stubborn of heart. That's me. Listen, because God can save. Even in the midst of that situation, despite the sin, despite the double-mindedness as it refers to in the New Testament, God can help us. Jesus took those things upon, and when we agree with him and his word, and we lay those things down as a living sacrifice and commit ourselves to the living transformation of our minds, of our thinking, where we discipline ourselves, that, you know, that thing, whatever it is, is absolutely not worth it when I compare it to the glory that is to be revealed with us to us in Christ. It is not worth it. I'm going to lay that thing down as a living sacrifice, and I'm going to discipline my mind. Not to perpetually feel like I'm conquered by that thing. I'm not going to let the weight carry on my back because it has already landed on Jesus but I'm going to discipline my mind to follow the Lord in every measure that I can. And though I fail, Scripture promises me that through the testing, I will know and discern and reveal to friends and family the good and perfect will of God. Through my weakness... He can make us perfect. And so here we stand on this side of God's redemptive work in Christ. We're not in the same place as Achan, right? We're not in the same place 
as Bel and Nebo and the Israelites in that time. We stand on this side of God's redemptive work and we are bolstered by the exhortation of Paul. You notice it didn't pronounce a blessing. It was an exhortation. You're going to have to work this word, but it came with a promise. We're bolstered by that exhortation. How shall we then live? Let me give you two contemporary examples. One, I will say a little bit ambiguously, but there was an area of sin in my own heart that had a, had a grip. It had hooks. It was there. It was something that I was not proud of, and quite frankly, it really aggravated me. I didn't like it. I didn't want it to be there. I just, there this thing is, and it gets on me, and ah, right? At one point, I determined that if I could not defeat that thing, like it was always going to have my number, if I could not defeat it, then I'm determined to take that thing to the grave one way or another. And I re I refused to let that thing work its way into my family. I don't think they even necessarily have known about this but I'm in a different place today. I, it no longer has the same hold on me. It no longer has the same grip. I'm not saying there's no temptation, and Lord help me for having presented this to you. I'm just trying to be vulnerable so we can get these things, right? Lord protect me. But what I want to say is I determined to take that thing to the grave. Isn't that what we're supposed to do with every sin? that we take it to the grave. Maybe it's Jesus' grave, the tomb. Let's take it, lay it at the feet of Jesus as a living sacrifice. Say, I am not going to let this thing rule and overcome the glory of God that could be there and destroy my family. I will not allow it. We lay our lives down as a living sacrifice. And it's the only thing that we can offer God is a worthy sacrifice and say, I'm going to lay this down before you. Paul says, I die daily. He lays down his life as a daily love sacrifice before God. We can do that. We can. Jesus Christ has made that possible. And it's throughout the New Testament. It's a gospel of glory. That's one example. The other example, just I mentioned that this kind of got stirred up at the Embark Conference. This is when. At that time, Mike Hayden uh, was up here telling us about our brother in Zimbabwe. Is that Ezron? Am I getting that name on? right? Yeah, so Ezron, a brother in severe need of help, tangibly. And there was this offering that was taken up. Well, God was stirring at my mind. Look at, all, look at what's going on here. Everyone's coming up, putting money in a little basket. And what is money? It represents our time, our investment, stuff we, we, we've given ourselves to. That's how money comes. I still have not just received a truckload on my driveway. It's not how it happens, right? 
it represents life in a certain respect. And people were coming up and laying down their riches, their gold and silver, the stuff that idols have been made of and sometimes still are, right, riches, and laying those things down at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, please take this and bless our brother. It was a living sacrifice. It was a beautiful thing. And now Ezron is receiving the benefit of us standing with him. Whatever God has asked you to do, whatever he has asked you to lay aside, dreams, desires, comforts, expectations, unmet expectations, wherever the Lord is in whatever you're facing, present those things as a living sacrifice. And then when you're tested, and that's a when, not an if, when you are tested, call these things to mind. Call these scriptures to mind. Call this sermon to mind. Go back to the scriptures. Adopt a discipline of training and disciplining in your brain, in your mind. Do battle with the sword of the spirit that distinguishes even the deepest desires of your heart. And so prove in practice, in tangible reality, in 2019, 2020, and on we go, matching the external practice with an internal heart and God will back you up and wow what will happen when we see a church that's doing that may God be glorified in his word